All right. Well, welcome for the brand new series. And I think you figured that out on the way in. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm really pleased. I mean, I saw actually some people doing push-ups. And I saw a little bit of village people action out there with the YMCA stuff. And uh, my daughter was even doing it after uh, first service. I saw her out there. She was trying to do the YMCA stuff. So uh, there are some dares and there are all kinds of things for you guys to do. But today we start this brand new series called Double Dog Dare. And uh, I'm so excited for this series and so excited to have you guys here. Uh, For those of you who are first-time guests with us here today, you've never been here before, you're a first-time visitor with us, uh, we want you to know a couple of things. One, we want to say welcome to you. We're so glad to have you here. And uh, second thing we want you to know uh, is this. We, We want you to know that this is a safe place for you. This is a safe place for you, no matter where you're at with God. Um, Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. Maybe you're just kind of getting back into church or maybe back into a relationship with God or with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you would honestly say, you know, I know that there's something missing in my life and I'm just here checking it out. And and I'm not even sure if I believe in God or believe in the Bible, but on that, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. Uh, We're glad to have you at Northridge. So as you came in, you noticed that there are a whole bunch of dares on the way in. There's silly dares on the way in, all different things you could do and sing and say and all that stuff. The kids actually had their own versions as they went into their area. So maybe they did some of those. Uh, Again, my daughter, she said, hey, dad, I did a silly dance. So she took on the dares. She was excited about it. Uh, But we have a lot of dares. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start by talking about two different types of dares, two different types of dares. All right. The first type of dare is the stupid dare. All right. This is the kind of dare that we probably think about when we think of double dog dare. I mean, if you think of I double dog dare you, you know, we probably think of like peer pressure and getting somebody to do something stupid like drink Tabasco sauce or, you know, whatever the case is, stupid dares. Well, to give you kind of an idea of what we're talking about, to give you an idea, an example of a stupid dare, I have an example. I want you to watch this clip. This will tell you a little bit more about a stupid dare. exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. Huh, are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole, that's dumb. That's because you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah! Like double dog dare you! Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dare. I triple dog dare you. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There was no going back now. This is next. Duck? Duck? 
All right, so we're all from Wisconsin, right? We live in Wisconsin. We know that's a stupid dare. That's just not smart. All right, so that's what a stupid dare is. A stupid dare is something that is stupid, not only for the person to give the dare. The the boy never should have dared him to do that. It's stupid. But it's also stupid for us to take the dare, to actually go through with it. Stupid for us to do. But the, the, the thing is, we can laugh at those stupid dares, but let me give you the serious side of the stupid dares. The serious side of the stupid dares is this. When we take on a stupid dare, it usually, and, and it doesn't have to be a dare, it could be a decision that we make in life, something that we do. It could be a, a decision that we make that we know we shouldn't do, but we do anyway. And, 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 it's, and it's not something that, it's something that's not very smart. And what ends up happening with stupid dares are things that we do that we shouldn't do is we start out a very, pretty much similar in all the ways. It's why we do it. We start out saying, I love this. We start out by saying, man, this feels good. I love doing this. It might be, you know, it might be that we, uh, we decide, hey, we're going to go to that party and get drunk. We're going to get wasted and it's going to be awesome. And we go and, and we get drunk and we do all that. And then, but the problem is then give it a little bit of time, usually the next morning. But then if you go to enough parties and eventually you finally get into that routine and then enough time goes by and all of a sudden you come back and all of a sudden here it is and you go, I hate this. How did I get this way in life? How did I get to this point? How did I get down this path? And so stupid dares, they start with, I love this feeling. I love how this makes me feel. It could be getting drunk. It could be getting high. It could be having an affair. It could be um, treating people a certain way in a bad way that makes you feel better about yourself. And so you you like to stomp them into the ground or, or gossip about them or whatever the case is. And you push them down and it makes you feel better. But then Give it enough time for any stupid dares, anything, risks that we take on, things that we shouldn't in our life. Give it enough time. We start by saying, I love this. This makes me feel good. And eventually you get to the point where you say, I hate this. I hate this life that I've really grown for myself. And that is the epitome of a stupid dare. Now, let me give you the flip side of this. Let me tell you what the other type of dare is. Because the stupid dare, that's how it starts. I love this, and eventually you get to the point where you say, I hate this life that I've grown for myself. A smart dare is the other type of dare. A smart dare is completely the opposite. A smart dare actually starts by you saying, I hate this, and eventually ends up with you saying, I love this. I love this life that this dare has given me. I'm going to give you some examples. It might be starting to exercise. It might be eating right. It might be getting into God's word. Some of you, <laughs> some of you have taken on the challenges that we put before you at Northridge before, and you've gotten into God's word, and you've come to me like a week or two later and saying, I have no idea what I'm reading. This is awful. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing with this. I'm getting into the word. I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing what we're talking about, but I don't even know what I'm doing. And you say, and you haven't said this out loud, but you're kind of like, I hate this. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And maybe it's to commit to pray. Maybe you've committed, because we've talked about some things at Northridge, maybe you've said, you know, I'm going to start treating people with kindness, even the people that I don't like, even that coworker that drives me insane. I'm going to treat them with kindness and love, even though they don't treat me the same way. And you're going to start out by saying, I hate this. I don't like doing this. This is not enjoyable. It's kind of like uh, Jackson tried to work out with Laura and I the other day. And, and he stopped partway through, and he said, this is no fun. <laughs> and we said, you're right. It's terrible. Can we tell you something? Mom and Dad hate this too, but we know we're supposed to do it. It's better for us. 
And that's what a smart dare is. A smart dare is, starts out with you saying, I hate this. I don't like doing this. This is not enjoyable. This is the harder thing to do. But if you stick with it, give it enough time, you'll end up with, I love this life that it has given me. And so you guys know where I'm going with this. In the Double Dog Dare series, what we're going to give you is we're not going to give you stupid dares, although we give you a few as you walked in. But in terms of the sermon, we're going to give you several dares that are smart dares, and they're going to be dares for your life. They're going to be dares that you can either take it or leave it, and I hope you take them. Because if you take them, I believe that these are ones that you're going to say, I hate this at first. You're not going to like it when I bring it up. Every Sunday, you're going to be like, oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Do we have to talk about that? And when I bring it up, you're going to say, I hate this. But if you take it on, I believe this, God knows this, and God talks about this in his word. If you take on these smart changes in your life, I believe you'll start out by saying, I hate this, but then give it enough time. And I believe you'll get further down the road and you'll say, I love this life. I love this life that God has given to me because I've taken on these smart dares. And so today, let me introduce you to the very first dare. We're talking about pushing past the limits. And one of the biggest limits to ourselves and to our growth in God and to being who we are in Christ is ourselves. And so here's the dare. We double dog dare you today to get emotionally healthy. Oh man, some of you right now are saying, right away, I hate this. Thank you. Sign me up for hating this. <laughs> Most of the men in the room. All right, can I, can I be honest with you? I'll give you, I'm going to, confession time, right? We're in church. We can do that, right? Confession time for me, all right? When we were going through the studies to try to figure out all the different topics, this is one that I felt in my heart and was brought up by some of the others in the meeting that we really should do that, to get emotionally healthy. And can I just tell you, I didn't want to do it. I didn't. I, I was like, I knew we should do it. I knew we had to do it. But I told him, I said, we're going to do this one, but I'm not going to like it. And that's what I said. And I still feel that way. But I know that this one is important. And what do we mean by emotionally healthy? Basically, what we're talking about is we need to get healthy in the view of ourselves. Some of us have a really messed up view of who we are. And we need to change the view of ourselves. Second thing we need to change is the view of God. Some of us have a really messed up view of how we see God, how we think about God. And third, we need to change our view and get a healthy view of how we think God views us. You notice the difference in that one than the other two? How we view ourselves, how we view God, and how we think God sees us. What he thinks about us. Okay? So to start that, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5. If you uh, haven't noticed already, we put all the scripture passages on the top of the handout. Uh, That way you can look them up for yourself during the service or after uh, later on in the week. But Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 talks a little bit about what it means to have this correct view of ourselves and what God, how God views us. So I want to read that uh, starting with verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, that's talking about us as people, humanity. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So let me just unpack that for just a minute. What this is saying is that God is... God's love for us, for you and for me, for every person on this planet, for every person in the universe, God's love for us is unconditional. 
It is not conditioned based on what, how our performance here on earth is. It is not conditioned as to whether or not we take stupid dares or smart dares. God loves you no matter what you do or don't do. Okay? And, and what, what this means is, what the, the intensity of this is, that God says, while you were playing God, while you were saying, I'm God, you're not. You understand that that's what sin is. Sin is, based, in its essence, it's when we say, God, I am the God of myself. I'm going to do what I want. Thank you very much. I know you're God. Uh, I think you're there. But regardless, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it how I want to. That's what sin is. Okay, In its essence, it's us putting our heart and saying, I'm more important than you, God. I don't care how you say to live. I'm going to do it this way. And what God is saying is, while we were still sinners, while we were still playing God of our own life, God says, I know you want nothing to do with me, God says, but I want everything to do with you. And so I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. I'm going to pay the price that you are supposed to pay. I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going to pay it. And so Christ pays the price for us, not once we got it figured out, not once we said, hey, God, I love you. I love you, God. And then God says, oh, you love me? Okay, then now I'm going to die on the cross for you because you got it all figured out. That's not what he does. What he does is he says, I'm going to die for you so that hopefully at some point, you will, you will come to me and understand the love that I have for you. And so we have this intensity. But then I want to take you another couple of chapters forward to Romans chapter 8. Because we need to understand what God's love is, how powerful God's love is and what it can be in order to understand the view of ourselves and in order to get emotionally healthy. And it starts with, uh, in Romans chapter 8, we're starting with verse 35. It says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> now, that's some, those are some powerful words about the love of God. Now, understand that this passage is talking about followers of Christ. It is not talking about everybody. Okay? It's not talking about everybody. This is talking about people who have accepted Jesus. It's saying that they have accepted God's love and there's nothing that can separate them from God's love. Now, what this means is a lot of people take this to mean that God does not love people who haven't accepted Christ. That is wrong. That's a lie. That is not true. That's not what the Bible says. What this means is that they simply haven't accepted God's love. God loves them. He's already showed his love. He is trying to help them to see that he loves them no matter what and more than anything. But what this is saying is if you accept Christ or until you accept Christ, you don't have God's love because you don't accept him. See, God's always there. He always has loved us. He always will love us. But he asks us to accept his love because it's offered freely to him. So we have this really important part of love. Now, why do I bring up the whole idea of love when we're talking about getting emotionally healthy? Well, this is the reason. Now we're going to bring it all full, full circle. 
When God created humanity, when God created the universe, he created it to be perfect. Do you guys remember that? Back in Genesis, when he created it, he created perfection. He created you and I to experience perfect love. He he created you and I to experience where we don't have a bad day, where nobody ever manipulates us, nobody ever tells us a lie, nobody ever throws dirt in our face, nobody ever treats us wrong. We never have a bad day. Everything is just perfect. Everything is awesome. How many of you, by the way, experienced that? You've never had anything wrong in your life, ever. I mean, you've never had a bad day. It's just, it's been halos from the moment you were born until now. I mean, just never. Right. We haven't. Why? The reason is not because God didn't create it that way. He did. He created us to experience perfect love. The problem was sin. We decided that we wanted to play God. We said, God, we're going to be God of our life, not you. And so that brought sin into the mix. And therefore, we have dysfunctional love instead of real love. And so, and those of you in here, a lot of us, we know this because we've experienced it. In fact, all of us have experienced this. Some of us have experienced it in more intense ways than others, but some of us have a mother or a father who either abandoned us, abused us, manipulated us. Some of us have close friends who have uh, gossiped about us, lied about us, betrayed us. Some of us have people in our life that we are trying to please, but we can never do good enough. Anybody have somebody like that in their life that you've tried to be the best you possibly can? You've tried to be perfect and yet you can never win their approval. You know what all that is a result of? It's a result of sin. It's a result of dysfunctional love on this earth. And it's not how God intended, but it's what sin brought in. So let me give you an illustration of how this works. <clears throat> you guys know I, I have this table behind me, right? You know, and you guys know, okay, something's coming when that happens, right? So, so let me give you just an illustration of how this works, okay? Uh, I have this bucket here, and let's say that this bucket represents your soul. My soul, your soul, humanity's soul, everybody's soul. This bucket represents your soul, my soul, okay? The problem with dysfunctional love, when we experience dysfunctional love, when we experience abuse at the hands of somebody who's supposed to love us, when we experience manipulation by somebody who supposed, we're supposed to be able to trust, when we experience lies from somebody, when we experience our friend who betrays us, when we experience a family member or a parent who abandons us, who just leaves us and, and, and has not been around, when we have that, then something happens. And you know, by the way, when I bring out a drill, it's not a good thing, right? I'm not a dentist, just so you know. And you guys need to be thankful for that. <laughs> All right? But when we experience dysfunctional love, this is what it does to our soul. What it does is it does bad things to our soul. Okay? And this is what it does. It punches holes in our soul. We are abused and we're manipulated. And this is what our soul looks like. Every one of our soul looks like this. Did you know that? How many of you like this bucket? How many of you would like this soul? Yeah, we don't. We don't like it. Our soul, every one of us has sinned. The Bible is very clear about that. And so we all have experienced dysfunctional love. And so all of our souls look like this. We all have holes in our soul. Not because God created that way, but because of sin and dysfunctional love. And so there's two typical tendencies that we have as human beings that we try to do to try to solve this hole in our soul problem. 
there are two specific things. Let me share them with you. The first thing is this. If we have holes in our souls, the first thing we try to do is we try to fill this up. We try to exhaust ourselves. We try to exhaust ourselves in order to fill this soul bucket up. Because if our soul is full, then we feel good. We feel good about ourselves. We feel good about God. We feel good about life. Things are good, right? When we have our soul, when our soul is filled up, we feel great about life. And so, but the problem is that we exhaust ourselves. Here's how we exhaust ourselves. And this is what we do. What we do is we have our soul and we actually try to fill our soul with anything and everything that we can find. Alcohol, drugs, the next high. We have an affair because we aren't feeling it in our own marriage. And so we have an affair. Or we go gossip about others because we don't feel good about ourselves. So we need to make sure we throw somebody else under the bus. So we do that. We fill our soul with anything and everything. Uh, some of us, we fill it. This is a really dangerous one. We fill it with busyness. We work our tails off. And we're going to push our career forward. And so we're going to do everything we can so we feel better about ourselves. I've accomplished something today. And we feel better about ourselves. And so what we do is we exhaust ourselves. We pour it into, the, into our soul, right? We pour it, we pour it, we pour it. And we pour it into our soul. We keep busy and we keep doing everything. And we, we gossip and we do everything we can. We have that another, another beer. Throw, pour me another beer. Let's get drunk. Let's get, it, let's get it going. Pass me the drugs. Let's get high because it's the only way I can escape from this life that I hate. And you know how, what ends up with our soul? The exact same way as I just showed you. Dry, empty, tired, and exhausted. Anybody of you come in this morning feeling any of those? My guess is probably so. Can I confess something to you? Sometimes I come in on a Sunday morning feeling a little bit this way. And I'm going to give you the remedy for that. Because we all have holes in our soul and some of us are trying to exhaust ourselves. We're trying to fill it with things that will never fill the holes in your soul. And you try to fill it as much as you can. You can, you can do the best things in life and you'll never fill your soul because it's just going to keep leaking out. So we exhaust ourselves. And physically, we're the same way we are emotionally. Did you know God created us physically to be nourished and fed? Right? You guys know this. I mean, we have to eat and we have to drink water in order to be nourished and fed. Now, you guys know me. I talk about food all the time. And so God is like, okay, your pastor has this down a little too well. Right? He nourishes and feeds himself maybe a little too much. That's just the way it is. And you know I talk about cookies all the time. This way, I mean, we have to be nourished and fed. So we know that physically. If we don't feed and nourish ourselves physically, we know what happens. We literally starve and we die. So the physical is easy to see. When we see somebody who's not nourished and fed, it's easy to see that. The problem is that we are also made by God, created by God emotionally the same way. He made our soul to be nourished and fed. He made it so that we have to be nourished and fed. He made our soul that way. He created us that way. The problem is that we are feeding our soul with completely the wrong things. And so we've got a lot of us in here that are starving emotionally. That is not as evident. You can't, I, you can't look around the room and say, starving emotionally, starving emotionally, starving. I see it. You can't see that. You can't see that, can you? You can't see that. Physically we can, but emotionally we can hide the holes in our soul because we can't see it and we can hide it easily. And we can suffer for years and for decades as we're emotionally immature 
and emotionally insecure. And so this is what our soul looks like. And you see this bucket here. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this look like? What, what can we do about this stuff? Okay. Well, we have to stop exhausting ourselves. But then there's a second thing that we do. And, uh, and it's a pretty serious one. It's maybe even more serious than exhausting ourselves. Uh, the exhausting ourselves is, is pretty bad. Um, and by the way, uh, I just, uh, God brought this to my mind. I didn't have this in my notes or anything. He brought this to my mind uh, for service. Can I tell you real quick one lie that is really, really killing us? We think we're stressed out and tired and exhausted because we're busy. Can I tell you that you're not tired and exhausted and worn out and frustrated with life because you're busy? You're not. This is why. In fact, busyness is just exacerbating the problem. That's all it's doing. We're trying to fill it with things that are never going to help. That's one of the biggest lies we've, uh, we believe, in America anyway, in the United States. We believe that busyness is importance, and it's actually the opposite. And we've got to get that right. The second thing that we do is we excuse ourselves. The second thing that we do is excuse ourselves. What we do is we make excuses. We say, here's, and here's how this is, and we know this is true. As soon as I say it, you're going to shake your heads because you're going to know that this is true. We, we excuse ourselves, and we, what we do is we look at this, and we say, you know, yeah, but my, my, my father abused me. So this is the way I am. I, I lose my temper because my dad lost my temper. It's the only way I know. So I, it's okay for me to do that sometimes. It's just the way I am. I gr- I've grown up with that. It's in my DNA. Or, you know, they, they abandoned me when I was whatever age. Or they, they, they're the ones that introduced me to drugs, so they're the ones that got me hooked. I didn't make those holes. I didn't make those holes. And we use it as an excuse to live however we want. That one hits home, doesn't it? <laughs> and we use these as an excuse. Um, a lot of the ideas from this uh, sermon, I need to tell you, come from a guy named Pastor Kevin Myers at 12 Stone in Georgia. And the reason he do- talks about this topic so powerfully and the reason I use so many things from him today is because he was emotionally wounded big time as, as a child himself. He experienced some pretty nasty stuff uh, when he was younger. and uh, But then he tells another story that kind of uh, helps him understand a whole lot of other things about his life. And I wanted to share that story with you. Um, he, uh, he grew up with asthma his whole life. And uh, because of his asthma, Kevin was one of those guys that he's just a major competitor. He loves to compete. He loves to compete in sports. He loves to compete in just about anything. And because of his asthma, Kevin was always, he always hated, kind of hated himself and hated his asthma because his asthma would hold him back from being able to participate in sports to the highest level that he wanted to participate. He still played sports. He still ran. He still did all this stuff. But he wasn't able to participate at the level that he wanted to. And, uh, and he hated his asthma, and he kind of hated his life for it. So, But then there was one day that he came to a realization. And admittedly, Pastor Kevin talks about this. He says this was not a good realization, but he came to this realization. And uh, the day was he was, at, uh, he was in PE class. Okay, how many of you have been in PE class? Remember those days, right? And uh, the PE teacher said, you know, gathered the class together, and he said, okay, today, guys, we are going to go out to the track, and we're going to run laps. How fun is that? It's going to be awesome, right? And Kevin all of a sudden had this really 
evil, selfish thought that came to him. And he started to smile. And Pastor Kevin said, I realized I didn't have to run today. And you all know how I did it, right? He went to his PE teacher and he said, uh, you know, I, I don't think I am going to be able to run today because you know I have asthma, right? Even though he was feeling just fine. And Kevin sat and watched all of his classmates run laps while he smiled and thought to himself, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> my asthma, now I can use my asthma as an excuse to get and do whatever I want. This is fantastic. And you can just see him sitting back, kicking his legs up and going, you're doing great, guys. I'm just going to go get myself a Snickers and we're all set. But the reason he tells this is he says the serious side of this, there were two problems that happened that day. And the first one is this. First one is he start, it started him down a path of using excuses to take instead of the harder road to take the easier road in his life. And he said it took God years and years and years for God to work that out of his life again once he had planted it in there. Kevin said, I, I planted that excuse-using mentality and I used it and I went to it anytime things got difficult. And he said, it wasn't until a long ways later until God finally burned that out of me. Got it out of me. But then there was a second thing that happened that was really detrimental and that was this. While Kevin was sitting there, everybody else was running. And so his excuse that he thought was giving him exactly what he wanted, but he didn't realize he was emptying his bucket. What his excuse was, he used his excuse and he did that. But the problem was that he was giving up some of the very best things, the harder things in favor of the easy things. And who was the one out of all of his classmates who was getting weaker in life? He was the only one. And it's because he used an excuse to get what he wanted, even though it was by far the worst thing for him. It was chaining him down in his own life. And it was because of his own insecurity and his own immaturity emotionally. And so Kevin shares this, and the problem is we all have this same problem, don't we? We use excuses and we use these things to get what we want and do what we want. And I have a question for you, and it's one of those things with the dares. You're not going to necessarily like it. But this question is one that we need to ask ourselves and is important to really wrestle with. And it is this. What are you making excuses for in your own life right now? What are you making excuses for in your own life? What things are you doing that you feel you have the right to do because nobody else knows or because you think it's okay or because it's not that damaging or because it's not a big deal or because I'm not the one that made the hole so I can deal with it and everybody else can deal with it and I can do what I want. What excuses are you currently making? See, it's one of those things where we've got to realize who we are and who God is. And we've got to start conquering the lies that are conquering us. Uh, Dr. Chris Thurman actually shares some really intense emotional lies, and I want to share, the, share these with you. Actually, Pastor Kevin shared these with his church, and they're, they're unbelievably powerful. I want to share them. I'm just going to read them really quickly. But these are emotional lies that we believe. They're not things that we say out loud, but they're things that we live according to, and we actually believe in our heart, and we act on these things. 
Okay, let me share them with you. When I share, start sharing them with you, you're going to know what I mean. Okay, listen to these lies. These are lies. These are things that are not true, but we think are true. I must be perfect. I need everyone's love and approval. It's easier to avoid problems than face them. Things have to go my way in order for me to be happy. My unhappiness is externally caused. I can have it all. That's a dangerous one. I am only as good as what I do. Life should be easy. You ever heard that one? Life should be fair. We hear that one all the time from our kids. And then you know what, you know what happens? The only difference is, as adults, we still live according to that one. We still believe that lie. We just don't say it out loud because we're smarter than that. Our kids say what we all believe. Hello. Our kids say what we all are thinking. Life should not, life, is, life should be fair. We believe that lie. Absolutely. I shouldn't have to wait for what I want. My marriage problems are my spouse's fault. My spouse should meet all my needs. I shouldn't have to change. Hmm. Those hurt a bit, don't they? They hurt a bit because they're emotional lies that we tell ourselves and we actually live according to, even though we would never say these out loud because we know if we say them out loud, people are like, ooh, who made you king? So we don't say these out loud because we know what it makes us look like, but we live according to them anyway. And we sit there emotionally immature. Can I give you just a quick window into my soul? (laughs) I don't like to do this all the time. But this is just where we go. I'm going to give you an example of, I think, what we all deal with. Um, Many of you know that I coach um, one of the boys' soccer teams, and there's four of them at the high school, and uh, I coach one of them, so there's three others. And so I end up traveling with a lot of the boys' soccer teams, the freshman team or the other JV team, the other varsity team. Um, and so I go with the, travel with them all the time. And so I find myself watching a lot of soccer, uh, which for me is actually kind of cool. I love soccer, so it works out. Uh, but there are times, and it doesn't happen often, but every now and then I get this thought. And I'm working on this because it's, it's, it's not a good thing. And every now and then I have that thought. I'm sitting there watching the, them play soccer, and I start thinking to myself, I hope they lose. I hope, I hope my own Wanaki team, I, I hope they lose. I hope they don't do well. And you guys know why I think that, right? Why I have that thought? The reason is because I know if they lose, and let's say I'm the only Wanaki team that wins out of the four, <laughs> how awesome is Brenda coaching? <laughs> I'm amazing. Or the reverse is also true, or the, the lesser one is true. If all of us lose, if they lose, and I happen to lose my game, I don't look as bad. Because <laughs> everybody else lost too. Now, why do I have that thought? We all know why I have that thought, and I know why I have that thought. The reason is because I'm emotionally immature and emotionally insecure in some ways. It's because my soul is empty, and I need to fill it up with the approval of parents, soccer parents, or in the school administration's eyes or the other coaches that are my colleagues and friends. I need to look good to them in order for my soul to be full. And it's a false way to fill it up. And it won't work. 
And so what we have is, where we're at is this. The only way to solve this holy soul problem is with Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way. No matter what you fill into your soul, it will never take care of the problem. It will always end up in some blue wash basin. Maybe it's not blue. I don't know. But there's somewhere that all of our stuff goes that we've been pouring in, and it's not a good place. And our soul is not filled up. It stays dry and empty. So here's how this works. John 15, 5. Jesus is talking. And he says, this is, this is what he says. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Us as people are the branches. And he says, if you want to have good fruit, if you want to keep a full soul that's overflowing and not only helps yourself, but helps other people grow as well. If you, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you need to have fruit, then you must remain in me, Jesus says. You must stay connected to the vine. You have to remain in Jesus. And so this is how this works. When we stay connected to Jesus, when we accept Christ, then what happens is God comes in, Jesus comes in, and he actually plugs the holes for us in our soul. You see that? Because God knows exactly where those holes are. Usually we don't even know where they are. We just know we were wounded. We just know we feel empty. But God knows exactly where the holes are. And so when we accept Jesus, when we take on the vine, when we stay connected to the vine, Jesus comes in and he puts his hand there and he plugs the holes in our soul. He's the only one that does that. And here's the problem, though. A lot of times what we do is we get taken away and we start getting drifting away from Jesus. You know what happens? Jesus doesn't move. We think that Jesus leaves us. When you guys feel abandoned by God, it's not because God abandoned you. It's because you abandoned God. He's always been there. He always will be there. God's there. And when you drift, then all of a sudden your soul starts leaking again. You know, you know why we feel dry and empty? Exhausted? It's because we're here and God's here going, you just, just come back to me. Stay, to the, stay connected to the vine. Here we go. Right here. Watch. Watch what happens. I plug the holes and we're good. I'm the vine. You are the branches, Jesus says. Stay connected to me and you will produce good fruit. The only way to produce good fruit is to have your soul filled by the only one that can fill it, and that's Jesus. So, the dare is simple this morning. We double dog dare you to get emotionally healthy. Let me give you three practical reasons or ways to do that. One, be quick to listen. In order to get emotionally healthy, we need to start taking ourselves out of the center of the room and setting ourselves aside and putting God at the center. We have to stop playing God. We need to stop making our own decisions and saying, God, we're going to do whatever we want to do regardless of you. We've got to be quick to listen to God and to wisdom from other people who are following Christ as well. Second, be slow to speak. Again, this is setting ourselves aside and making sure that we have all the truth before we think we have something to offer. And three, be slow to get angry, selfish, vent, or blame. That is not easy. It looks cool on a list. Some of you are like, yeah, woo, that is good stuff right there. The problem is, tomorrow's Monday. It is very easy to sit here and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, selfish, vent, or blame. Here, the problem is 
you're not going to be here in about 10 minutes. We're going to hit the real world. And that's where this comes into play. So are you willing to dare yourself to get emotionally healthy, to plug the holes in your soul? For some of you, I'm going to finish with this. So for some of you, you're here and you've never taken the ultimate dare. And the ultimate dare, you know what the ultimate dare is? The ultimate dare is that you've never accepted Jesus in the first place. You've never actually brought Jesus. You've never actually had a soul where Jesus was actually stopping up the holes so that it was filling up. You've never experienced that love. So I want to invite you, if you're here, maybe you've been to church for a long time, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, maybe you've never heard this before, but I just want to tell you, if you are here and you've never accepted Jesus, you've never accepted Christ, I want to tell you how to do that this morning because I think that that is the biggest step you can take to not only getting emotionally healthy, but getting healthy in every area of your life. At Northridge, we very simply call it the ABCs. We try to keep it as simple as possible because it really is this simple. A, you admit. You admit that you need Jesus. You admit that, that Jesus, you need Jesus, that you're a sinner, that there's no way that you can plug the holes without him. You admit that you need him. B, you believe. You believe that Jesus is real. It's really hard to accept Jesus if you don't believe he's real. You have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is real and you have to believe that he actually died on the cross for you. And C, you have to commit. You need to commit your life the rest of your days. This is not like, woohoo, emotional decision on one Sunday and then you just do what you want. This is a commit. You commit the rest of your life that you're going to live with Jesus at the center and that means all your decisions, everything has to go through him and through his word. You admit you need him. You believe in him, that his cross, his death on the cross paid for your sins, and you commit your life to him. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And if that's you here, and you know it's you, those of you in here, you know if you've ever accepted Jesus or not. Some of you have been hiding that for a long time. And your bucket's been leaking for a long time. And you've never accepted Jesus. And if you're here and you need to do that, you know who you are. I don't know who you are. God knows you know. I'm going to pray this prayer. And when I pray that, I pray that you would just pray this in your heart to God. And then we'll tell you what to do afterwards. You're fine. Just if you know you need to do this, you get right with God. Accept Jesus. Become a follower of Christ. And then we'll help you know what to do after that.